Like I remember when my father, Henry Blackaby, first wrote Experiencing God, people would come up to us all the time and tell us how life transforming it was. And they would say things like, I've gone to church all my life, but I've never experienced God this way, or I, I never knew God could communicate with me that way, or that he was real in a personal way to me. People would say to him, I've always wanted to know how I could experience the God in my life that I know about in my head. I find especially today, there's so many people that have a barrenness in their walk with God. It, they go to church, but it seems empty. They read their Bible and they get distracted. They try to pray, but they're bored by it. And they'll say, surely to relate to Almighty God, there ought to be more to it than this. Yeah, people don't want uh, a dead religion. They want something that is personal, something that is meaningful, and really something that they can relate to in a more relational way that is more than just uh, what I read or memorize or recite. And uh, I think the message of experiencing God has helped people to know that God's not just out there somewhere. He actually wants to relate to you in your own life. Have you ever read the Bible and then thought to yourself, it would be amazing if I could have lived in those times and had encounters with God the way those people God revealing himself and communicating to people. God sweeping people up into his eternal purposes. God doing miracles in and through the lives of people. God relating to people in a personal and life transforming way. We want to invite you to come with us on a 12 session journey as we discover how to experience God. morning turn to two places Exodus chapter 2 and Acts chapter 7 today I want to talk to you as it relates to experiencing God the study but I kind of want to start where they start in the study and that's with and through the life of Moses and the question I want to start this series off with is this question right here what makes a life valuable what makes a life valuable Another way of looking at it is where does the value of your life come from? Have you ever thought about that? It's kind of a deep question when you think about it. Maybe the value of your life comes from the fact that you're a wife or a mother, or a, a father or a husband. Maybe, maybe it comes from the career that you have, or maybe it comes from a hobby that you have that you're known for. But the thing that we should understand is that there will be no true, lasting, meaningful satisfacting, uh, satisfaction in life until we understand where the true value comes from. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon, I about forgot his name, King Solomon, the wisest man the Bible says ever lived, wrote this book in such a way to basically tell us nothing in and of this world will truly satisfy it won't satisfy. Matter of fact, he says it's just a vapor. It's here one minute, gone the next. It brings great joy one minute, and that joy diminishes. So how do you find value? How do you find that thing that lasts in your life? Well, life has value when we enter into a relationship with God and experience him. It's just like we heard in the, in, the, in the video here. There's so many people who attend church who still come Sunday after Sunday, and, and they still do what they think they're supposed to do to identify with God. But the fact is, they don't truly, they don't truly experience Him. They come and they see evidence, maybe, that He's doing something, but they're detached from it. 
they come and they hear testimonies of people. They hear people standing in front of them saying, this is how God is interacting in my life. And this, and they feel like they're outside of all that. But you see, it only comes, this relationship happens with him and when we experience him. But the greatest way to experience him is through serving him while at the same time learning more about him and his ways. And so this morning, I want us to, it's a two-part sermon this morning. I'm not going to get all the way through the outline, so don't worry about that. But the thing I want us to look at as we begin this journey is the call of God to serve. The call of God to serve. The call of God to serve is a call to know God more fully. It is to know him more fully. And you might say, well, wait a second. Is that all God's up to is us serving him? Not necessarily. It's not the idea that we're here and we're his servant, even though it implies that. And it's there. But what God is up to is he wants to do things in and through your life. He wants to do things in such a way that, that he gets glory, but you get satisfaction. You get fulfillment. And it doesn't mean it's going to be easy all the time, but he is up to something. One of the greatest ways we can experience him is to serve him. So look at the introduction. Have you ever seen what God can do with an ordinary person? An ordinary person. Have you ever seen that? I've seen God do amazing things through people that I never expected him to be able to do through certain people. How many of you have ever seen that? And probably many of your hands are going up because that's you. You, you never dream God could use you in the way that he uses you, but it's through that obedience, it's through the fact that you want to experience him, and you know the greatest way to experience him is to be in acknowledging his ways, his purposes, and his call. Now look on your outline. The Bible is filled with examples of God using ordinary people, including one named Moses. His story is a great illustration of how God prepares and equips those he calls to serve. And this can clearly be seen in three segments of his life. Have you, have you ever studied the life of Moses? He lived 120 years, and there's three segments of 40 in his life. So his first 40 years in the house of Pharaoh, that's where he spent his time. He was there, and we're going to see that he enjoyed probably the greatest education anyone could get in the world at that time. Because at the time, Egypt was the superpower of the world. It was the intellectual center of the world. It was the place that had the mightiest army. There were so many things going for Egypt during that time. And Moses literally was placed in the palace with all that going on. His second 40 years was in the wilderness. You remember the story, and we're going to remind you of the story in just a moment. But he escapes there, runs for his life, and he's in the wilderness for 40 years there himself. And then his third 40 years leading God's people in the wilderness. So the first 80 years were preparation for the call of the last 40 years. Now think about this. The preparation and carrying out the call is an, in, is an invitation to a relationship with God. And that's what God was offering Moses. Moses we're going to have a relationship. I want to use you in a way you never thought was possible. Moses, it's not going to be easy, but great things are going to be done in and through your life. And along the way, you're going to learn more about me than you could ever imagine. Along the way, you're going to learn more about yourself than you could ever imagine. And that's what we see in the story of Moses. So look on your outline. The first 40 years, Moses' preparation in the palace. And the first thing we find is his private birth. In Exodus chapter 2, if you look at verse 1, it says this. 
And a man of the household of Levi went and took as a wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. Now, the reason she has to do this, that we find out, we find this out in Exodus chapter 1. Pharaoh, all of a sudden, is looking out his window, and he's realizing that the Israelites, who were his slaves, the slaves of Egypt, were there, and they were multiplying greatly. And he began to think that they would lead a revolt and that they would become mightier than even Egypt, the superpower of the world, because there were so many of them. And so basically what he was saying and what he was desiring to do is kill all the newborn boys. Any boy that is born to the Israelites, he pronounced death to. So he began killing the newborn boys. Now, again, this is a Pharaoh that we're going to find out later who did not know Joseph. Of course, Joseph is the one that saw the, uh, this whole thing, this whole arrangement of the Israelites living in Egypt. And we'll read more about that in just a moment. But look at verse 2 again. So the woman conceived and bore a child, or a son, and when she saw him and saw that he was a beautiful child. Now, I don't know about you, but how many of you mothers think you had a beautiful child when it was born? How many of you think you had, look at y'all, you bless your heart. I've seen some of those children you're talking about. <laughs> I, at times, I'm able to go to the hospital where someone has uh, a newborn there and visit, and y'all go oohing and on. I mean, dad even gets on, in on it, and, and I'm just not seeing what y'all are seeing. I, I'm just being honest with you. Uh, newborns are hardly ever beautiful, especially, you know, they, 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 them heads all kind of warped and everything. But anyway, <laughs> but, but I can understand. But she thought her, her son was beautiful, and many do. But the point I'm trying to make here is the fact that she saw something in Moses that was not, I think, only the beauty. He had a life that was worth protecting. And there was something there. And we know it was God's plan all along. Second, we see his privileged background. If you look at verse 3 of Exodus chapter 2, but when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, dabbed it in asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. Now, how many of you are starting to recognize the story now? This is where we pick it up as children, isn't it? And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse? for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said, yes, go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Verse 10, and the child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. So he was caught, so he, she called him Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. You see, here is where we begin to look at Moses' life and see that God has a special plan for him. And it is through this that we see that even in Pharaoh's house, isn't it amazing how God can do amazing things and even in places of evil at times? 
I mean, think about it. These were, these were pagans he was being raised. He was not being taught the ways of God. But God put him in a place where he learned the culture. He knew what he was dealing with. He knew the mentality of the Egyptians. And he, it would take every bit of that to understand how to get away from them. And we see that plan and that beginning of equipping that God had in his life. But then in Acts chapter 7, Stephen the martyr, he's standing there in front of the Jewish counselors. And he's basically preaching a sermon, and, and he's standing there. Many people believe he's in front of the Sanhedrin, and they're accusing him of blasphemy. But what he's doing is he's telling the story of Jesus through the Old Testament. And he stops here and begins to talk about Abraham, Joseph, and, of course, Moses. Look at verse 17 of Acts chapter 7. But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, Jacob takes the family to Egypt at the prompting of Joseph. And the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till, the king, till another king arose who did not know Joseph. He wasn't sympathetic to the Israelites. This man, this Pharaoh, dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their ba babies so that they may not live. Now here it is, verse 20. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God. At this time, God begins to raise up a man who would be mighty, who would stand against the powerful nation known as Egypt. And we see this. It was a timing thing. God put him there. He placed him there. It was all coming together. And it says, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months, verse 21. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned, this is key, in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. He became what many would say is a capable leader. He became someone who could lead. And we're seeing this so clearly. So God was obviously preparing Moses for his own purposes. Now, i got a question for you. How has God prepared you? Some of you are sitting here and you're like, okay, how has God prepared me? Well, I'm not Moses. I'm not Abraham. I'm not all these mighty people God has used. Yet God, listen, God wants to use you. God wants you to enter into a relationship with him that he can use you in such a way that will bring glory to his name, but also bring you satisfaction and fulfillment. Because it is the creator of the universe who not only created you, he has a plan for you, a purpose for you, and he wants you to understand him more intimately as you join him in serving him. That's the whole premise of this study for the next 12 weeks. So my question again is, how has God prepared you? In Psalm 139, we, we know these verses. It says, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. That means you knew me before anyone knew me. You knew me while I was in my mother's womb. I will praise you. And here's what he's praising. Him. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It implies intention. It implies purpose. Marvelous are your works, and that my no soul knows very well. So what has God done in your life? What has he done? Well, well, he knew you while you were in your mother's womb. He knew you before you were in anyone. And the thing that we understand is God prepares us from the very beginning. Now, if you have more than one child, you know that God has given each of us personality traits. How many of you have ever raised a strong-willed child? Raise your hand. 
Okay, man, some of them hands went up quick. It was almost like anger was associated there for a moment. But I want you to think about it. We, 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 our dispositions, who we are as people, they come from God. Now, can they be affected by the flesh? Yes, that's probably what your hand went up so quick for. But the point is, God puts a disposition in us. Have you noticed that not everyone is just alike? We have four grandsons. Every one of them are completely different. Different. If you raise children, you know what I'm talking about. All right? And, and the point is this. We're born with personality traits. We're born with special talents. The Bible literally says we're born with certain gifts. And they're made known when we come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We have spiritual gifts. And we see that in Romans chapter 12. Listen to what it says. For as, we, for, we as, for as we have many members in one body. He's talking about the church. Okay, He's trying to make the connection of the interconnectedness of the church. But all the members do not have the same function. We have different functions. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, but we're individually members of one another. And how are we different? Having di then different gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us. And then what does he say? I've given you these things. I've made you heal. Use them. Use them. Now, is this, think about this. Is this a God, a dictator God who was saying, you will serve me as your master. You will do this. No, that's not what we read in the scripture. What we read in the scripture is this. God inviting us to join him, to join him. And by joining him, we first of all enter into a relationship with him that is satisfying, that is meaningful. He knows the greatest fulfillment this life could ever produce will only come through serving and being in an intimate relationship with him. Not only do we see the spiritual gifts, but also, guess what? Guess what else we have to understand the heart of God? We have Jesus' example. The Gospels are a beautiful account of one named Jesus who came to this world and did some amazing things. And we've even adopted a slogan as a people. How many of you remember, what would Jesus do? How many of you remember that? Why would we say that? Because he is the example. He is the epitome of the heart of God. If you were to say, okay, give me a picture of the heart of God, it's Jesus. Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. You remember what Jesus said about him? You remember what it said about Jesus? It says Jesus was the word, right? Was with God, was, was the word. And then it says he became flesh. All those things are surrounding Jesus. So he's not only the embodiment of the example that is put before us of the heart of God. He also is the word. What's the word? It's what we hold here, the Word. He's the example, but we have a picture of that example in the Gospels, but it extends even further than that. So we not only have him as an example, we have him and his Word. Listen to what the Bible says. Look here on the screen, 2 Timothy chapter 3. All Scripture is given by what? Inspiration of God. That means it's God-breathed. What does that mean? It means it's, it, this is at the heart of God. What he is after is this word is after the heart of God. It's the essence of who God is. And it says this, this scripture is profitable. It means it's, it's worth something. It brings value. It brings these things. And what's it profitable for? Number one, for doctrine. We all need good doctrine. 
We need to know what to believe. That's what doctrine is. We need to know what to believe. How many of you agree in the world we live in today? We better know what we believe because we got messages coming out from everywhere. We better know what we believe. Second of all, he says for reproof, it literally means to discern what not to believe. To know what we believe so much that when something that is false is presented, we can say we have the discernment to know that this is not true. And y'all, if we don't have that in place, it can be bad news. It can be bad news when it comes to our lives. The Bible says the ways of this world and the ways of the enemy lead to destruction. Destruction. What next? He says for correction. We, we literally need to learn what not to do. How many of you, that would be a good thing, to learn what not to do? Think about, about our parenting, excuse me. Think about our parenting. We're teaching our children. We want them to understand what is right. We're trying to keep them from what is wrong. We, we want them to understand how they should act. And then thirdly, we need instruction. He says, for instruction in righteousness, to understand what should be done. And then it closes, this, these verses close out with verse 17, that the man or woman of God may be complete. You know what that literally means? Lacking nothing. We have what we need. We know it so well. We've come to terms with it. We've accepted it. We've been convicted by it. We've been guided by it in such a way that we're lacking nothing. We have discernment about it. And then he says this, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Again, what does that imply? Intentionality. That God has intentionality when it comes to your life. There's purpose. There's meaning. He's bringing that. And that's what we have. So all this comes from his word. Second, next, we have the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not on your outline. It's free, but it's not on the outline, okay? The, the, the reason it's not is because I have to turn the outline in on Wednesday, and God gives me more, okay? But that's what you're getting right now. So, secondly, I mean, next, there is the Holy Spirit. And I want you to think about the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit key to you understanding the heart of God? Absolutely. And, and, and it's so much so that I want you to hear what Jesus, or see what Jesus said. In John 14, 26, here's what Jesus said. He says, I've got to go. You remember John chapter 14? He says, if I go and prepare, prepare a place for you, I will come again to, and to and where I am there you may be also. You remember that? He's, like, he's basically talking to his disciples. He's saying, I've got to go. I'm going to leave. But I'm not going to leave you alone. Listen to what he says. He says, but the helper of the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name. What's he going to do? He's going to teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I've said to you. He's not only going to teach you, he's going to bring those things together and give it to you in such a way that you'll know that it comes from me. It's amazing how teachers, and if you're a teacher in this room, you know what I'm talking about. If you take teaching the Word of God very seriously, isn't it amazing how sometimes you're sitting there and you're teaching and thoughts kind of come out of nowhere? Now, I'm not talking about like our associate pastor, Gary. We don't know where those thoughts come from sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Just joking, joking. But, but what I'm talking about, you're up there, you're here, you're teaching, you're maybe counseling someone one-on-one, one -on -one, and all of a sudden you're set, sitting there, you're trying to be obedient to the heart of God. God obviously wants you teaching the Word. He wants you to model the Word. And all of a sudden you're sitting there, and then this thought just comes rushing out of nowhere, and it's out of your mouth before you know it. And man, it's some good stuff. 
Has that ever happened to you? Happens to me all the time. Matter of fact, that probably the only thing good you're getting out of this is when that happens, to be honest with you. It's amazing how so, so many people will come up to me and say, they actually said it before the 9.30 and then after 9.30. They're like, you know something, when you're up there and you're talking, sometimes I get mad at my husband because I think my husband came and talked to you the week before. <laughs> They literally get mad. I've had wives accuse me of putting the, the, their story out here. It's not that. It's the Holy Spirit of God. I'm not that smart. <laughs> and God can use things in a powerful way. And this is the language of what the Holy Spirit is all about and what he can do. Jesus said this later on. He said the Holy Spirit is going to convict you. How many of you need conviction sometimes in your life? to point you in the right direction. He's going to guide you. He's going to direct you. Literally, what it really means is the Holy Spirit comes alongside of you and becomes your counselor. Your counselor. And he uses the Word of God to show you how. How many of you have ever picked up God's Word? And I guarantee you, over these next 12 weeks, it's going to happen in your study. You get along with God, and you begin to listen for the heart of God. He's going to speak directly to you. And, and it'll be amazing. And, and guess where it's going to mainly come from? His Word. You're going to get in it, and there'll be something that you need for that moment. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, my goodness. He does speak. This is exactly what I was needing today. This is actually the direction I was looking for to see if God was approving of what he wanted me to do in this situation. It's all right there. And God delivers when it comes to his word. And then Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing. Paul's basically saying, you know something? God is up to something. And guess what? He will not finish until he's finished. And when will we know we're finished? When we're not breathing. You know why I know that? Because of this verse. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ is when you're looking at him face to face. That's the day of Jesus Christ. The work he started, he will finish. So some of you may be sitting here today and you say, well, I, I'm kind of on the end of this. I think I'll let the young people kind of do their thing now. Or I think I'll just kind of go on out into the pastures and ride this thing out. Uh-uh. If you're breathing, God has intent for your life. God has purpose for your life. Next, we see Moses' providential burden and departure. You see, what we see here is Moses is one of these characters, and I love these characters in the Bible, where you can clearly see how God is working in them. And then you can not only see how God's working in them, you can almost see how that character becomes who he becomes, but also the thought processes and where it tends to lead. And that's what we find in Moses. In Exodus chapter 2, I want you to look at verse 11. Now, it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren, that means his people, he knew he was of the, the people, the Hebrews, and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. He basically believes he got away with something. No one saw. Verse 13, 
And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting, and he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? Then he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. Word has gotten out. Verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now, why is this story important? Why is this part of the story important? Well, there's several things I think are at play here. First of all, I think that God wanted Moses to see the burden of the people. I definitely believe that was the case. Because God wanted Moses' heart to be where God's heart was. And for him to go out there and observe what was going on with the people, and for him to identify with their burden, that was probably all the intent of God. Where I think Moses got ahead of God is when he killed the Egyptian. Okay? But what did it do? It did reveal that Moses started having a passion for whom? His people. The very people God would cause him to lead out in. Now let me ask you a question. Has God ever made something amazing out of your mess? How many of you agree that at times we're a walking mess? <laughs> we really are at times. I mean, we look around and we, it's like, how can God use this? I'm a mess. God can use a mess. You know how I'll know? Because he's taken my messes many times and made them into something wonderful and beautiful. But let me tell you this. Does that mean I escape the consequences of my mess? No, I've made my life a whole lot harder on myself than it should have been, I'm sure. The same thing with Moses. God's purposes are still going to come to fruition, to what God desires. But the point is, is Moses going to suffer some consequences for him maybe getting ahead of God? Absolutely. He's about to go into the wilderness for 40 years, but God would still be preparing him even there. So you may say, well, where are you leading in all this? Your first unit that you'll do this week with your book is going to talk about a lot of this. What I want you to understand is how the author in the book is taking the life of Moses and trying to help you to see that you're actually in the story of Moses. And how God can do amazing things with your life. But here's what we find. And these are the seven points of the study you're about to embark on for the next 12 weeks. Here it is. Experiencing God. God is always at work around you. Always at work around you. There's never a time when he's not working around you. Second of all, God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. God's not interested in you under, coming to terms and accepting a new religion in your life. He wants a relationship with you. Not just any relationship, an intimate relationship. He wants a relationship so much so that y'all come together. He uses you and desires of building the kingdom in such a way you discover more about who he is and you discover a little bit more about who you are. And in the process, it bridges you to a fulfilling, satisfying life. Thirdly, God invites you to become involved with him in his work. This is where the calling comes from. And many of you are sitting here today, and you, you think like many people who are sitting in pews in churches. You think the called are only the missionaries and the pastors and the ones that get paid to do it. No, he's called all of us. There's a calling on all of us. Fourthly, we looked at this. God speaks through the Holy Spirit. 
his word, prayer, and circumstances to reveal his purposes and his ways. And then fifthly, God's invitation many times leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action to proceed. Listen, no one ever said following the heart of God was going to be easy. But let me just tell you this. The times God has truly revealed himself to me and the way he desires to do certain things in my life, many times is in the difficulty. How many of you have noticed that? Difficulty has a way of finding the, 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 the things in our heart that need to go and the things that need to be added. It, it has its way of doing that, and God speaks through it. Next, number six, from there we make adjustments that need to be made for us to truly join him in the work. And then number seven, then you come to know him more intimately through your experience as you obey him, and he does great things through your life. But let me say this. That is what we would call the Old Testament version seen through the life of Moses. Let me give you the Jesus version. And it's actually found in your memory verse for this week. In John chapter 15, verse 5, here's what it says. Jesus said this, I'm the vine, you are the branches. I'm the vine. I'm the, I'm the living resource. I'm the one that's going to connect you to the right things. You're the branches, and from me, your influence is going to spread out there. He who abides in me, okay, and I in him bears much fruit. What's fruit for us? Satisfaction, fulfillment, amaze that God can use us in the way he uses us. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And then he says, for without me, you can't do anything. You can't do anything. Without me, it ain't going to happen in your own strength. It'll happen, number one, because I've called you to it. Number two, because I've equipped you. Number three, because I do have that purpose for your life. But number four, when it actually comes to living it out, I'm right in that also. And it won't be in your own strength that you pull it off. And that's the reason at the end of it all, all the only thing you can sit back and say is, wow, God. That is amazing. And that's what he does in and through our lives. And that's what he desires. Would you pray with me? Father, we just come to you right now. And Lord, as we begin this study, Lord, I, I pray, Lord, it'll be much more than a study for many of us, Lord, that we will take the time, we will disciplined, we'll be disciplined to, to study your word and discover what the workbook is trying to tell us. But Father, more importantly, I just pray that the Holy Spirit work in and through this process to affirm and reaffirm those things that we know of you, but also enlighten us to those things of you, Father. Father, we need a fresh word from you, not only as an individual, but as a church. And Father, we're turning to you to, to help us to see where you're working, that we may join you, not just as a church, but as individuals that we can come to that place where we see your hand in our life and the fulfillment and satisfaction that can come from it. Father, I just thank you for those that are in this room. And Father, I, I pray that all of us in this room will be those who, who have a holy desire to see your name lifted high, to make you known. But more importantly, that we would continue in this love relationship that you sought out us after, Father that we would respond to your love in a way that would be intimate, purpose, purposeful, and, Father, that we would just see and not be satisfied with anything 
but you when it comes to those things that you're calling us to. Thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. housekeeping things with this. There's two little tabs here. There's a little clear plastic one that gets you to the wafer, and then there's the main one there that gets you to the juice. But um, beyond that, we, we are very excited to start this series just like this. Uh, as pastors, as we were talking about this series, Experiencing God, we see it as more than just a little neat little theme for the next 12 series. We really see this as a movement, an opportunity celebrate the death of someone, but Ephesians 1 tells, uh, 1, 7 tells us this, that in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, that this broken body and this spilled blood is our freedom. And so we want to start this whole series, this whole of all, thank you for being here. I think that's incredible. Uh, but I want to tell you this, like this moment is not necessarily for you at this time. 
because you have a greater need in your life, and it's greater than sipping on some juice and eating a wafer. The greatest need in your life is that you would meet a Savior named Jesus. And so if that's you, I'm going to encourage you, before you leave this place today, come find one of the pastors here at the front. Talk to a, another good, godly person that may be in your life about what it means to follow Jesus. But so for us in this moment, this, this moment is just for believers, people that have professed the name of Christ and believe in Him and follow Him. The second thing is this, and we get it right here in the Scripture, that communion is for those that have first examined their hearts and have come taking this with a clear heart. So it's not just for believers, it's for believers that really truly have taken a moment to examine their heart before God and are coming, taking this with a clear heart. Paul goes on to say in verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man, let a woman examine themselves, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now, what can we see in these verses? We can see this. Communion is a very serious thing. And there might, there might be a time, there might be today in your life where even as a believer in Christ, this is not something you need to take necessarily. Because there are things in your life, there's something in your life that is breaking the fellowship between you and God. So we want to give you just some space this morning, some margin to quietly examine your heart. And if you're sitting with your, your kids, maybe you're sitting as a family this morning, parents, this is a great opportunity for you to just, maybe as a family, a husband, a wife, whoever's there, or maybe you're just here by yourself today, that's great too. Just take this moment to examine your heart and spend some time in prayer this morning as we get ready
piece of bread or a little drop of juice, Lord. God, we want to remember your faithfulness to us, Lord. God, you have been so faithful. Lord, we, we, we come to you, Lord, knowing that in a group, room this size, Lord, that there may be those in here today, Lord, that are followers, but man, they are out of fellowship. There's a pet sin in their life. Jesus on the same night in which Jesus Thank you. 